Yud Zion Shvat Tavshinayin Zion coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Gaon sings Naomi Shemer composed a classic Shiba Classics Odloa Haftidai it's bringing about our love to the land of Israel welcome welcome one and all into this week's edition of the Israel Show my name is Mayor Weingarten we are here live each and every Monday immediately following JM in the AM 9 AM Eastern 4 PM Israel time. We're so happy that you're tuned in, but you know what? You could be tuned in, not live. On demand, it's called. You can hear us wherever you are, whenever it is, all hours, day and night, via the great Nachum Siegel Network app, which is available for free for both uh, iTunes and uh, Android, iPhones and Android, and um, on the website, Archives, NachumSiegel.com We'll uh, tell you about the uh, rather controversial law that passed the Knesset last week called Chok Hazdara means to uh, put things in order to get, get stuff settled I like to call it to settle the settlements although I don't like the word settlements We'll take a look ahead a little bit at the upcoming uh, Meeting between first meeting between the Prime Minister and the President. They've met before in different capacities, but Benjamin Netanyahu is Prime Minister, Donald Trump is President. This will be their first meeting. Very interesting. There was an interview given by Donald Trump, President Trump, um, very late last week to Yisrael Hayom. We have the um, interview. It's in Hebrew. We'll translate little pieces of it for you see how they differ from what we've heard 
from President from candidate Trump. Now that he is President Trump, we address some of that last week. Have some other stories uh, along the way, some new music, lots of great stuff. So stay tuned. You can comment on the Nachum Siegel Network app, of course, our Facebook page, which we'd love you to like and like you to love. <laughs> it's um, facebook.com slash the Israel show, one word. If you're a f- if you're a Poogie fan, and I know so many of you are, you're going to love this. It's uh, a tribute to Poogie by Yelet Pa'am. We played it often back in 2013 when it came out um, because that was when Poogie was uh, doing their last big concert ever together. Uh, it's a great uh, mix of all kinds of Poogie so all the Poogie songs, not all of them, but many Poogie songs mixed in some some actually part of the medley, some just as a little interlude, so uh, we hope you enjoy it. Try and figure out how many Poogie songs you can identify in this medley. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> היה ממש נחמד היינו אז חזרנו שוב היה ממש נחמד מאה שנה דבר לא השתנה נמשיך לבוא גם אז יהיה נחמד נלך, נחזור נמות שעה בתור עשו שטויות, נמרח קצת יוד ונתראה בבור מכאן לשם זה לא לוקח זמן עדיף לגמור ביחד עם Ma 
Whoa. That was cool. I just got to figure out what's going on. Are we on? I think we are. Let's see. Let's figure this out. Oh, maybe not. Yeah, we are. Huh? We're on. I don't know. Almost missed that one. It's been one of one one kind of morning for me here on uh, the East Coast. Lots of uh, wind, traffic, all kinds of stuff going on. So uh, we're a little disoriented and discombobulated, but that shouldn't affect anybody. Hopefully, we'll have our act together. Did you read about this? This is uh, quite interesting. So, there was a big story last week after the Super Bowl. Super Bowl was last week, I think. I don't remember. But, yeah, last week, two weeks ago, whatever. The only reason I uh, even think about when the Super Bowl is, (laughs) is so I can uh, watch the Kosher Halftime Show on the Nachum Siegel Network, which is always great because I'm not a big sports fan. Anyway, so there was this big story about how the players, from the, a bunch of players from the uh, Super Bowl teams uh, were going to Israel as a, a, de- a delegation of goodwill and so forth. Uh, they joked about how, uh, you know, there used to be these commercials where at the end of the uh, big sporting event, whether it was a Super Bowl or a World Series, in the rush of the people, there was always this camera that approached the main player, whether it was a quarterback or the winning pitcher or whatever, and and would say, uh, where are you going now? And they would say, I'm going to Disney World. And so uh, they said, well, where are you going now? This wasn't on the commercial, but but the uh, promos for this in uh, in the Israeli media and in the Jewish media here were, where are you going now? I'm going to Israel. And uh, it was basically a, a group of Christian uh, players who were going for a, a Christian pilgrimage, and they were going to be goodwill ambassadors and so forth. Well, when was it? Friday, I think it came out, the story. No, Sunday, Sunday. The story came out that one or two of the players decided to back out of the trip for political reasons. Which is interesting, because didn't they know that they were going on a goodwill mission to learn about Israel and so forth and to see the Holy Land? Well, some of the headlines were NFL players pull out of Israel trip. Meaning, you would think from the headline that the trip was canceled, but the correct headline, which I'm I'm reading off of Fox News, says NFL player player pulls out of Israel trip, says he will not be used. Meaning, there was one, I think at the end, two players who pulled out. They they um, said that they don't want to be used as a propaganda tool for Israel. I don't know what they were thinking, quite frankly, uh, in the first place. They, they, I'm sure, knew all of this. But what probably happened was they were pressured by the BDS movement and by others. Um, one of them writes, uh, I, don't, I won't mention his name, uh, it's meaningless. Uh, I will not be used in such a manner, he said. Uh, he still intends to visit Israel, but only on a trip, listen to this, that includes stops in the West Bank and Gaza to meet Palestinians. Citing the example of Muhammad Ali, <laughs> what can I say, the great, the, the Gadol Hador, right? Uh, and le- the late boxing legend support for the Palestinians, he, the, this player said he too wants to be a, be a voice for the voiceless. Now, we know that Muhammad Ali converted to Islam. We also know he was very cordial to Jews and so forth. Here, this, this player, who maybe also has converted to Islam, I do not know. Um, he's, he's using that as um, some sort of a platform to say, well, I'm not going... Uh, he, he then said, I cannot do that, meaning be a voice of the voices, by going on this kind of trip to Israel. Okay, so one other player also uh, said he won't go, but uh, this is a trip by the Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Their owner is a tremendous supporter of Israel. Um, 
I think his name is Robert Kraft. I know it's Kraft. I, th- I don't remember the first name, but I believe it's Robert Kraft. And if I'm not correct, you can just fill in the blank in your head what his real first name is. <laughs> They're supposed to be arriving today. A group of the uh, New England Patriots. The visit will include stops at a hospital, Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial, and a meeting with um, the Black Hebrews, a community of African Americans who live in southern Israel. Of course, I'm saying that they will obviously meet up with a lot of um, Black Israelis because there are thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, obviously, tens of thousands who uh, came from Ethiopia and are part of Israeli life. And they'll see that. Israel is an integrated uh, country. So, you know, the BDS movement continues, and they pressure performers and players and a- anybody they can to uh, boycott Israel. And it's sad, it is really very sad that um, these NFL players uh, originally agreed to go, but then they backed up. You know, to me, it's meaningless. I, I-, I don't think that celebrity um, has any value but unfortunately, we live in a world of celebrity where people follow blindly whatever the celebrity does. That's why they're celebrity endorsements and so, and so forth. And uh, that's the situation we're in, unfortunately. Here is a relatively new number from Hatik Vashesh off of the album that recently came out called Hakolod Lefanai. This one's called Mashu Na'im Lanishama, and I have really, really started enjoying this song a lot. Again, some of the words are not my taste, but the whole concept is great. The idea, Mashu Na'im Lanishama, means something comforting for the soul, and that's music, and he speaks about the different Israeli uh, singers and songwriters who um, give give him some you'd call menuchat nefesh, rest of the soul, some some rest for the soul. Mashuhu naim lanishama hatikva shesh. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. אז לפעמים אני לוקח את האוטו ונוסע צפונה מהעיר לפני שעוד מלחמה תתחיל והברכיים רועדות לי לרגע קשה לי להקל את מה שאני שומע עוד מאותו הפזמון ישראל סוריה לבנון אני חייב להתנתק היה דיון מרתק הכל נשמע לי כמו אזעקה חייב לחבות רעשים מאומות צריך שיר להפיק את המועקה Sin <laughs>
My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Sigum Network. Thank you so much for making us a part of your week. Chok Hazdara. It's funny how they name laws, how they name things in Israel. Hazdara could be translated as putting something in order, Hazdir. The arrangement, making a certain arrangement. Um, some places I've seen it translated as the regulation law. I don't, I don't think that's really a good way of saying it. You know how um, the special arrangement that was made many, many decades ago by the army and yeshivot so that students who want to, uh, uh, young men, 18-year-old Israelis who want to um, study Torah and serve in the army were able to work out this five-year program. So it was called the arrangement, HaHezder, and then it was given the Hezder of between the army and the Yeshivot and so forth. And and that became the name of all the Yeshivot, Yeshivot HaHezder. And then the guys who are in it are called Hezdernikim. It's just funny how these words of, oh, the arrangement, or he's an arrangement guy. <laughs> if you think about the meaning of the words, it's a little silly. The actual um, full name of the law is Chok It's a law to arrange or settle or put in order the, um, the um, lands in Yehuda and Shomron. So, let's start with a. Let's start with a, a, a one way of looking at it. Is a metaphor or, or a mashal, an example. In the United States, in I think in most Western countries, for whatever reason, somebody builds a house on a lot in good faith, not realizing that he didn't own the lot. He thought he owned a lot. For whatever reason, there might have been a mistake in paperwork. Whatever it is, makes no difference. You build a house, beautiful structure, you've spent a lot of money on it, and you're living there. And then maybe, what, 10 years after, somebody wakes up and says, hey, wait a minute. I think that plot of land belonged to me. I found that my great-great-grandfather had a deed to that land that nobody really knew about. Well, what happens? That man might go to the city or the courts and say, that's my land. What would the court rule, again, in almost every Western country? Oh, rip down that house and give the man his land. Actually not. Actually not. Because you, it would be ludicrous to say 10 years or, or 15 years after a family's living in that house, they spend fortunes of money to tear it down. So the law usually says that the courts will award a financial benefit, a financial payment 
to the person who found this deed that is worth at least what the land that the house was built on was worth, and he can go and buy land and build a house somewhere else. That's the way it works. We don't say, I mean, it seems almost irrational for somebody to say, oh, no, no, oh, no. You got to tear down that house. I, I didn't go to steal this plot of land from you. You yourself didn't even know that you owned it until recently. We should tear down the house and, and expel the people and relocate. We'll pay the value of the house. Chok is something very, very similar. The only difference is that there's politics involved. In Yehudan Shomron, the ownership of land is not so clear-cut. Who owns which land? Yes, there was a land registry of Jordan, but we also know that the um, paperwork, let's say, the accounting of all the details and bureaucracies during the Turkish Empire's rule of Israel surely wasn't very efficient during the British rule of Israel, which was short. It's not clear how they dealt with it. And in Jordan, the king of Jordan, King Hussein, who illegally annexed Yehudan Shamron after the 1948 war, Israel's war of independence. During that time, King Hussein wanted to curry favor with the Palestinian Arabs who lived in Yehuda and Shomron, and what he would do is he would take land that didn't belong to him, you understand the land that really didn't belong to him, and he would give piece, parcels of land to different heads of the Hamulat, uh, heads of big families, who would then sometimes give it to their, and, and it was basically payoff for being cooperative. Many of the people don't even know that they, their great-grandfather or grandfather is not alive, and they, they're not even aware of the fact that the land was theirs. In the meantime, Israelis, with the support of the Israeli government, built towns and cities on areas that, after checking, the Israeli government was rather certain did not belong to any Arabs. By the way, let's open a parenthesis for a second. In the United States, let's say you own land and you've built something on it and the government needs to make a highway there, there's a law of imminent domain that says the government can literally take away your house and pay you the value, it's not done that often, and it's not fun by any means, but the law is there and it is used. They pay you the value of the land, or of of the home, or whatever it is, and they take it. Now, we're not even talking about that here. We're talking about a situation where the person who's claiming ownership of the land did not know at the time that these people moved in that he had any claim on it. The government of Israel, in good faith, allocated the land, let's say in this case, to the city of Ofra, one of the first Yishuvim in the Shomron. Now, 20 years later, 30 years later, an Arab... An Arab-Palestinian comes and says, I own a little area in that neighborhood of Ofra, and there's a house that's built on all, or part, could even be part, of this area that I own. Now, where was he? Why didn't he speak up 30 years ago? The answer is simple. He had no clue, not 30 years ago, not 20 years ago, until an Israeli organization 
like Yesh Din or Shalom Achshav, went and literally scoured all the land registries of Jordan and found a possibility that land that a Jewish home is built on now had some ownership. They went then to look for the person or the child or the grandchild of the owner who had no clue. And they said to him, come, we will take you and we will present your case to the high supreme, to the Supreme Court of Israel to rule in your favor to get the Jews out of that house. Mind you, the house is in the middle of a Jewish community. Mind you, the Arab Palestinian who has a claim to it isn't going to go build a house there. He's not going to plant anything there. It's going to remain desolate if they tear down that house. Nobody benefits. But the politics and the hatred is so strong that these Israeli organizations continue to do this and threaten several thousands of homes all over Yehuda and Shomron, in Ofra, in the Gush, in other areas. That is the problem. And so the law that was passed says, first of all, the law that was passed is retroactive. It It, it is retroactive and it says that... Um, Homes that were built in good faith and supported by the government means the government paved the road to to the yeshuv, the government is providing water and electricity and so forth, means the government recognizes this. The government will compensate with money the person who comes with this claim of ownership. And will give them a minimum of 125% of the appraised value, meaning more than it's worth, 25% more than it's worth, or alternative nearby lands according to the preference of the owner. Now, in many cases, the owner, the person, the Arab who comes with this claim would say, hey, what the heck? I can't do it. I never lived on the land. I didn't even know that I owned it. Somebody's coming here and offering me a nice sum of money. Why not? The problem is that the Palestinian Authority has a law on the books that bans selling property to Jews. Meaning if I accept the money as compensation... I am violating, I the Arab, I'm violating the law of the Palestinian Authority that makes it illegal for me to sell the land to the Jews. And do you know what the punishment is if I violate that law? Death! Death! All of this could be solved if the Palestinian Authority would not have this law, this outrageous racial law that says that an Arab Palestinian who sells land to a Jew will be punished by death. The whole thing would be taken care of. You wouldn't need a law for this. By the way, there are other countries that have similar situations International courts or or local courts have dealt with no other country has ever been criticized for doing this type of thing. And yet, Israel's getting condemned all over the world as if it's a land grab. That's what they're calling it, a land grab. There's no land grab here. Nobody was living there. None of this disputed areas, none of these plots of land, and again, ultimately it could be a few thousand, None of these homes, nobody lived there before. Nobody's being displaced. You know, nobody's being thrown out. 
people are being offered a generous amount of money for a plot of land. And yet, with all the craziness, it is believed that the law will be struck down by Israel's Supreme Court. Can you imagine that? Hard for me to imagine it. I guess we'll see what happens ultimately, but that's hopefully a clear explanation of what Hoka Hazdara is. It's an attempt to retroactively settle and put order into a situation of, of, of chaos where thousands possibly of Palestinian Arabs are found by Jewish organizations on the left, radical left, with deeds to property that now Jewish homes in Yehudan Shimon are on. The idea is to say, no, we won't tear down the home like we did in Amona. We don't want to tear down the home like they're threatening to do, like the court is threatening to do in Ofra. These are homes that have been sitting for 30, 20, 30, and sometimes 40 years in good faith. And Israel will compensate the person who comes and says he owns the land and proves it. Either monetarily, 125% of the value, or give alternative land somewhere else. And this, what seems to be normal, fair, really, just normal and fair, is being criticized by the world over as some terrible thing that Israel is colonizing and all, and all the other stuff. Now you know what it's about. And keep your eyes and ears open, and we will too, because it will reach the Supreme Court of the State of Israel, and there's a good chance that it won't make it through. And we'll see what happens then. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show. We're going to debut for you, Hanan Ben-Ari. Boy, has he, is he a rising star in Israel music? Wow. Hanan Ben-Ari just put out his uh, second album, and this is a track from it, debuting here. Todash at Ohevedoti. This is a husband telling his wife, thank you so much for loving me. I know that I don't really always act and behave the way you'd like me to. But you put up with me, and I really appreciate that. Isn't that isn't that cute? Okay, here we go. Hanan Ben Ari on the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> Thank you. 
שאת חושפת אותי לאור השמש המתוק של הלב לא מגלה אף פעם מקום ומשאירה אותי רעב תודה שאת תופסת אותי אבל יודעת גם מתי לעזור Hanan Ben Ari, I love that. That is so cool. Tadashato Hevatoti, brand new, brand new music coming out by this really superstar. His song, Tutim, which we debuted a while back, was Song of the Year in Israel in 2016. We've played it numerous times. One of our um, Nachum Siegel Network app commenters writes, so what you are saying, that if I purchased something where I did due diligence and received a certificate of ownership, and years later it was proven in court that the certificate I received was false, then I shouldn't have to return it? And um, I believe the answer is yes. In fact, I'm going to read to you from Maj um, Kopel, his Facebook page, he put out um, a post, and I thank him for it, which uh, puts out a few facts about the law. Here's what he writes. This is point number five in his post. In the Ang- I'll try and share it after the show. In the Anglo-American legal tradition, including Israeli and Jordanian law, as well as in halacha, a trespasser, a trespasser means somebody who didn't do it in goodwill necessarily, gains lawful title either when the original owner makes no claim for a long period or when the trespasser, acting in good faith, right, in that case, makes significant improvements to the value of the land. And in this case, both criteria hold, meaning significant improvement was made to a barren piece of land, and it was in good faith, and there was no claim for a long period of time. And so, compensation is given. No one would expect that, uh, let's say, 20, 30 years later, you're living in a house, and, and it, in good faith, in good faith, that you should be forced to leave the house because somebody now comes and says, oh, I found that I own this property but you should be compensated. Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, will be meeting this Wednesday, I believe. Is it Wednesday or Tuesday? Either Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe it's Tuesday, meaning uh, February the 14th. We'll be meeting for the first time with with President Donald Trump, I should say. He's met Donald Trump many times. They have a good relationship. The um, supporters of Netanyahu in Israel are just ecstatic. I mean, remember, we're coming from eight years of President Obama, who, in the um, in the opinion of the huge majority of Israelis, was very antagonistic. Definitely to Benjamin Netanyahu. Let's say not to Israel. Even if you want to say he wasn't antagonistic to Israel, he was definitely antagonistic to Benjamin Netanyahu. They they did not have a good relationship. And now, Benjamin Netanyahu, for the first time, gets to come to the White House and there will be a friendly face. There will be a warm welcome. He will be residing in the Blair House which is reserved for the VVIP guests. But we shouldn't let that fool us. President Trump gave an interview, the only interview that he gave to Israeli media before this visit, to Boaz Bismut. Boaz Bismut writes, he's a wonderful journalist. Over the years, he's actually been all over the world, he is not only a citizen of Israel, maybe he's not even a citizen of Israel, I don't know, but he has obviously 
a passport of some country that allows him to get into um, the Arab countries. Uh, he, he's been to many, many um, places around the world reported. And I've, I remember reading his reports from uh, Tehran of Khomeini, Gaddafi's Libya, Saddam Hussein's Iraq. He, he reported from Damascus. He got himself into all these places and was able to file reports now. He interviews Donald Trump as president for the first time, but he did interview him several times on the campaign trail. What's the trick? How does Boaz Bismuth get into the Oval Office? Well, he writes for Israel Hayom. Newspaper is owned by Sheldon Adelson, who is a close friend of Donald Trump. And so um, he knows he's going to get good coverage. And it's a favor to his friend Sheldon Adelson and boosts the popularity of his already very popular newspaper, Yisrael Hayom. Um, Bismut, to, to sum it up, sort of, Bismut says that he sees now a very different Donald Trump than he saw during the campaign. He was very careful in his wording. There were times, he writes, that when he was giving certain answers, he looked at notes that he had in order to make sure he's saying things the way he wants to say them. And he constantly spoke about making peace between Israel and its neighbors. About a two-state solution and all that stuff. And that concerns me. I, I might have mentioned on this show during the election that what concerned me most about Donald Trump is that he has no one that he has to answer to. He could wake up one morning and say, I'm going to make the best deal in the Middle East so everybody's going to be happy. And he'll pressure Israel to do stuff that Israel doesn't want to do. And there's nobody who can say anything about it. Unlike regular lifelong politicians who have to worry about the Congress, who's going to pressure them because of uh, different alliances or other bases of support that they have that can put them in check, like they did to Barack Obama. Donald Trump doesn't really have to worry about any of that. He's his own man, and he can wake up one morning and say, I want, this is the, this is the hardest deal to make, I'm a deal maker, and I want to do this, and whatever happens, happens. And I think that part of the reason that he's going overboard and showing his support for Israel now and his friendship for Israel, and he repeated it over and over again during this uh, interview, is um, that he wants us to feel confident and comfortable that he wants the best for Israel. And then he can say, what do you mean you don't like this deal? I'm telling you, this deal is great. This is the greatest deal. It's huge. It's going to be fantastic for Israel. This is going to be the greatest thing for Israel. That's the feeling I got from this interview. He writes, uh, he said, he's asked, you talk about making deals. Isn't it appropriate that the Palestinian Arabs should also compromise on uh, certain of their claims in the negotiations? And he, he says, yeah, for sure. The Palestinians also should be thinking about a good deal. The deal has to be good for everybody. There's n- n- no deal is good if it's not good for both sides. He says, we're now in the middle of a process that's been going on for many decades. A lot more than many decades, but many people think, he says, that it's impossible to make the deal. People that work with me, many smart people who understand Israel and understand the Arabs, they say it's impossible to make a deal. I don't agree with him. Oh my, I don't agree with them, he says. I think we can make a deal, and we need to make a deal. That scares me, because the truth is, we can't make a deal. There's no deal to be made right now. And sometimes, even the person who's at the heart of the deal has to be able to under, uh, um, understand, not the heart of the deal, what was it? What was his book called? Whatever, something with the deal, has to understand that sometimes there's just no deal. There's no deal to be made if the other side wants to kill you. There's no deal to be made when one side wants to kill the other side.
It's that simple. That's the way I see it. We'll see what happens in the big meeting. It will surely be, at least on the outside, very friendly, very comfortable for Benjamin Netanyahu, and he will come out looking great. Here's a, a quickie from Anan um, al This is called Pashtida. My name is Mayor Wangart, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. That's a cute one. Dibure Pashtida. Talk about quiche or pie or whatever you want to call it. Well, we're going to end off today's show with a song that might seem inappropriate for the time of the year. It's called Stav. And we always think of Stav, in modern Hebrew for sure, as the fall. And we're not in fall. We're in the middle of the winter. So why would I play a song called Stav? And the answer is, it's words from Shira Shirim. And in the Tanakh, Stav does not mean fall. Stav means winter. And the words are, Kihinei Hastav Avar. The winter is over. Hageshem chalaf halachlo. The the rain, the rainy season is over. It's left. Hanitzanim ba'aretz. The budding of uh, the flowers and the trees are being seen in the country. And so after Tu Bishvat, we are we're told that most of the rains of the years have concluded. It would be appropriate to hear this song. It is a gorgeous, beautiful song, written by Yitzchak Goldschmidt and sung by Kol Achai. I heard it last night for the first time in a long time on a set of really nice speakers, and wow, it blew me away, no matter how many times I heard it. I hope you enjoy it as well. It's off of their album, Bene. It's available at um, kolachai.com, K-O-L-A-C-H. AI, kolachai.com. You can buy the song, you can buy the album. Um, and I hope you enjoy it right now as we close out the show. I can't find, I told you I was a little, little off balance today. Uh, can't find my closing notes. I usually say something like, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your Facebook likes. I thank the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And, as always, I thank Nachum Siegel. Immediately following the Israel show will be one hour of great music mix. And then David Lichtenstein's show. And I can't remember the name. See, I knew it. I got it almost, and then I forgot the name. But if you stay tuned, you'll hear it. And it's usually a great show. Till next time we meet. Ah, this is fun, live radio. Until next time we meet, my name is Mayor Weingarten, reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
Geshem Halal 